Greetings, Trash Future fans, Trash Persons, if you're Canadian. This is Nate, and just a quick announcement for those of you who have the good fortune or misfortune of living in London. We have an upcoming live show on 30 October at the Seckford in Clerkenwell. The address is 34 Seckford Street, London EC1R0HA. Can't believe I just said that. We'll update with more details later, but for the time being, what you do need to know is, as Riley puts it, it's going to be a live show spooktacular. Kill me. Free me from this horrible prison. Anyway, hope you can make it if you're in London, and enjoy the episode. Well, I mean, oh, yeah. I mean look, the, the thing I wanted to say about Elon, and, and, and the reason why I think he's like a real poster, a real poster, is because like he knows. He lives and dies by the post, okay? He knows that deep down inside, just like we all do, that... There's a tweet out there that you're going to hit send on that's going to ruin your career potentially when the right wing mobs come after you and concern troll you or whatever the fuck they want to do. But you still hit it anyway. You can't stop posting because of that because of that rush that you get when you hit send and and you read the replies. You know what I mean? And that's it, it doesn't stop you from from ruining your life, even as a billionaire, which Elon is literally doing right before our eyes. So I just I have tremendous respect for him. And I think everyone hates him because he's hot now and, <laughs> and he's super successful and he's having sex with Grimes and they're doing a lot of drugs. And it's just he's a baller. Who wouldn't do yeah. that in his situation? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think literally everyone. Who I think no us? one would post if they, if I was everyone always says I was like, if I was a billionaire, I would never post. I no. I wouldn't. I would just wouldn't like, do that. No, I would. No, I. I don't think. I feel like I would I don't get think someone I would to post for me, and I would. If, if well, I he literally dead. did. If I was gonna, but they wouldn't be under my name. But if I was that that dedicated to the craft, I would pay someone who was good at posting, and like we would brainstorm together and be like, "Oh yeah, hell yeah, send that." Really, she's like hires shit. Virgil, yeah, yeah, yeah. Texas, do fucking dirt <laughs> Diggler, but uh, you know, in for my, Elon Musk. <laughs> in my in my life as a billionaire, I've given up posting for many years, but occasionally on the. On a, on a given day in the middle of the week, it's rainy and it's I, the clock strikes 4.20 p.m. and my eyes just dart towards the keyboard <laughs> and I think about what might have been. Uh, um, just, just on the subject of like tweets that can end careers, um, I, I've always been fascinated with like the idea of like having a tweet that's so bad that it always stays in your drafts. And you only use it like in really like in a really super emergency situation. Something as if like if you know if it, there is going to be like a nuclear apocalypse, then you tweet the worst thing you could possibly tweet. Oh my <laughs> god, I love that. Mine is I already have it on the top of my head. I'll just release it right now. It's uh, uh, ethno status or Chad Republicans. It's <laughs> <laughs> like that's what I've been I've been meaning to tweet that out, and I just I'm I hope no one listens to this podcast. See, my <laughs> so. I think my, my I see I, I alternate between um my I think my favorite possible joke in the world is the idea that like AC Grayling or one of those sort of super remainer intellectuals but that are pretty old and have really intense pre-woke periods is just one day going to tweet out Brexit is gay. <laughs> Maya uh, Yeah, Brexit gay as hell. <laughs> mine uh, has always been a dumb joke and like it, it uh, Basically, you may have noticed the uh, preponderance of, of veterans who really, really care a lot about one amendment to the Constitution and only one, which is the Second Amendment. The rest of them, you know, the one that says troops can't stay in my house, they don't care, but they care about yeah. the Second Amendment. <laughs> and my, uh, my, my, my tweet that's been in my drafts forever that, that I've never said it'd be like, uh, bad news veterans with tattoos and t-shirts. I've consul uh, consulted a classicist and it turns out Molon Labe means I eat ass. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyone else got any career ending tweets? None of my. Out in a non-searchable no, this is form. all like. Well, yeah, I know that's the best part about it, but also it's like 
I mean, this is a podcast, so like I'm sure some journalists can like scrub it eventually and find yeah. it. It's just I don't know what's worse. Is it like I on the internet, I don't know if it's uh the right wing like uh, alt light uh personalities are worse or if it's like twelve year olds who are stands for a specific person. Cause like if you say something that offends the alt light, like pizza gators, like they'll come in swarms and they'll like they have hackers and whatnot and they'll figure out like all of your old they'll they'll uh, what's the what's the service called when you um you can look at time travel like mm-hmm. it's a it's a time travel thing on the internet where they can like look at all of the, your old tweets regardless of whether you deleted them or not. Mm-hmm. But then if you offend like Cardi B or or Nicki Minaj, like if you <laughs> at them and they quote tweet you, you're screwed. Yeah. I'm not even kidding. They twelve year olds are way more vicious than Mike Sardovich. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's basically the fir- mm-hmm. the first person that ever happened to is basically Pentheus. It's <laughs> a joke what? for the classes in the audience. Well, yeah, it's gone over my head, to be what honest. What the fuck? I was depending on you. Yeah, well, you failed. Yeah. I was just, there was a guy the other day who said the exact same thing. He was like, if I was stranded on a desert island and I was going to die and my phone was almost out of batteries, I would just tweet Beyonce's overrated because they'd fucking find me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hello and welcome back once again to this yet another episode of Trash Future, the podcast where I don't say the intro. Uh, by the way, I looked it up. Uh, SEC stands for Short Seller Enrichment Commission, which is totally like a boomer joke that they would make on like... Well, I mean, it was the thing we said on the other episode that that, that they uh, Elon Musk and his fans are so emotionally hurt by the fact that anyone dares bet against his company in any way that like yeah. the fact that people are allowed to short sell... Uh, Tesla like just offends them so deeply that like they have to own those people, and because they're the good guys like Harry Potter. Remember? And we are we are once again after that after that brief digression we are joined by Hassan Piker, host of the Breakdown on the Young Turks and general poster. Uh, I, I try. Empresario. I try. I mean, I got like back into Twitter um, as a public figure, I guess, as a verified blue check mark kind of person only last year. Mm-hmm. And it was the worst decision of my life, honestly. <laughs> it was also simultaneously the best. Like, I feel like now I'm like always engaging with like Maoists and shit. I don't know where they, they were ever before. Like they, <laughs> it, they're all telling me that like electoral politics is bullshit. And then I'm, I'm a coward for even engaging in it. And like, I didn't even know that these people existed mm-hmm. before I got on Twitter. Um, but you know, it's great. There's always yeah, rotting that's, my brain. That's what I've learned. There's always going to be someone to your left who thinks you're a fascist. Yeah, one hundred percent. Oh, I mean, as 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 <laughs> as we woke, know, woke veteran. I was yeah. just saying, this happens to me on a constant basis. And speaking, of, we are joined by our usual cast of woke veteran Nate. Yep, it's me, Nate. Milo. Hey, it's me. Uh, a lot of people uh, on the on the tanky left are very upset still about some articles I wrote when I was a student, <laughs> and, uh, which is a normal and fine thing for them to spend all of their time reading. And trapped it, trapped in the ball, trapped in Dartford. Hussein. Hi. Yes. Um. No one has called me out on all my bad, all my bad university writing. Um. But I'm trying to remember, like the last time I really got into trouble because it was with like a pop culture icon, and I have a feeling it was. It was because of um, I had said something about Noah Centineo, the guy um, on that on that Netflix movie that everyone loves. Um, and basically, I tweeted that he sounded like every guy who was selling blockchain technology. And the only reason everyone was giving him a free pass was because he had really good hair. Um, so my DMs were like filled with like 
all these stands who are basically telling me that I would never be as good as him. And and they're right. I'll, I'll never get as like, you know, I'll never get the boyish wavy hair, but you know, um, you don't need to like keep reminding me of that. Well, I was thinking, Hussein, also your, uh, your fun brush with fame when you uh, insulted Michelle Wellebeck and all of Gamergate decided that you were racist oh. against Asians. Oh yeah. So, so yeah, um, I, I won't, I won't dwell too much on this, but Michelle Hollebeck got married to like an, an Asian woman, like 20 years younger than him and he went girl. to his wedding wearing a bowler hat. So I basically said that he, um, look, he, he was living every Gamergate dude's fantasy and they all got really mad at me because they said that they would never wear a bowler hat ever in any, <laughs> any circumstance. Mm. And I kept Focus on what matters, Gamergate. Because, yeah. that, because that, that's the game is uniform. Mm. <laughs> the, 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 the weird overlap between gamers and Oxbridge College porters. <laughs> uh, so we have uh, before now we have a bunch of stuff we're going to talk about uh, today that we're going to well that I'm going to go into at, at some point. You don't get to know yet. You will soon. Uh, and then at some point, Hussein is going to magically transform into Trevor Strunk, uh, Hegelbon on Twitter, host of No Cartridge, who's going to talk through his new article on Fortnite. But first, the correct, the correct term is Digivolve. Digivolve, Digivolve into Hegelbahn. Um, so uh, I'm I one of the one of the one of the dumb things that happened uh, recently. Before I go into the you know the actual criticism, um, was uh, recently this happened I think yesterday. Um, a Banksy painting called Girl with Balloon, uh, which is I think we all know it. It's Sort of, it's it's on every sort of university um, uh, sort of dorm dorm room uh, wall. I think it comes with your admissions on UCAS. Uh, was purchased uh, at Sotheby's. Uh, it's a a a, 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 a gicle print of it or something. It was purchased at Sotheby's uh, for the buying it, it was price. Was in like a lighted canvas, like yes. in, a, in a in a light box, yeah. Of a million pounds, approximately. So you know. This a is a normal price to pay for a Banksy art. Yeah, I yeah. like the idea that the price was only approximate. Like the guy who bought it doesn't know exactly well, how sorry, much well, he so paid. Well, well, I, I know I just didn't want to say dollars, but I it's basically yeah. a million pounds. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, sure. However, shortly after the sale concluded, um, an alarm went off, uh, and a, the canvas was shredded by a mechanism hidden within the base of the frame, with most of the work emerging from the bottom in strips. Uh, as soon as the gavel hit. This then, oh yeah, occurred. Banksy tendies. Yeah, it's and and the response um, from the senior director at Sotheby's, Alex Alex Branch Branch from the senior director at Sotheby's was, we've just been Banksied. Oh, Kirby enthusiasm music plays, eh? <laughs> I feel like you used to be cooler than this. Like, I mean, I don't know. I, I like this is a cool uh, meme kind of thing that he did. Like, it's great. And Banksy obviously has like a lot of, you know, he is he's been on the right side of a lot of issues for the most part. But like, I don't know. In the this most is, annoying way. Well, yeah. I feel like this confirms the rumors that he's actually Robert Del Naja from Massive Attack because this is the kind of thing <laughs> that a 45-year-old dad would do. And yeah. it's like, it starts to line up perfectly. It's like... Well, this is the whole look. This is this is like the, the last time we really did. A we live in society was when we were talking with Felix about how more people apply to Love Island than Oxbridge, and that's a pointless statistic. This is we live in society. The art, exactly. Yeah. You paid for a thing, and now it's been shredded. But yeah. does it still have value? Wow, really makes you think. People well, apply to well, Love Island. Technically, it's like it's probably doubled in value since then because now it has like an experiential component to it, and like it's just I don't know. I, I'm just You're like, actually right. Uh, 
because Sotheby's followed up. Where a work suffers damage while in the care of an auction house, it would not normally expect the buyer to honor any purchase and would probably cancel the sale. However, there was speculation after the Banksy sale as to whether the shredded painting would have risen in value, given its status as one of the greatest pranks to ever have been played on the art market. You can sell it to Elon Musk for $2 million now. That's what's going to happen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 just, so is, is Banksy like, going to join the Team 10 house now? or <laughs> Pranked. No, that's the thing. Yeah. He's, he's, either, he's either the guy from Massive Attack or he's Jake Paul. Yeah, probably. I mean, that makes sense. No, well, they lost, they lost uh, Nick Crompton, uh, who is famous for the words, England is my city. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I love him. And so maybe they'll have the new British guy be Banksy because he's British, right? Yeah, you yeah. have British, to have definitely. a British guy. Yeah, he, we know he's connected to Bristol and that's a ba- and that he is one of either um, a Team 10 guy or the guy from Massive Wait, maybe, maybe he is Nick Crompton and that's why Nick Crompton disappeared <laughs> to go back to his life. <laughs> Of pretentious pranks. Yeah. <laughs> the team Team Ten's pranks weren't rarefied enough for Nick Crompton. It was like yet another Ferrari in the pool, Jake. They can't. They come home and Nick Crompton has just fed that five-year-old child through a wood chipper, and he's like pranked. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just like this. This whole thing is like oh, everyone's like, yeah, Banksy is anti-capitalist, anti-imperialist art, and I think it sort of goes to show that like any kind of sort of purely symbolic gesture at this kind of thing, where it's like, oh yes. It's basically just ad busters on a canvas. It's just, yeah. like, you know, it's like, oh damn, these two police are kissing. Oh, they're gay together. Damn, makes you think, <laughs> wow. huh? Really, really, really owned the cops there, didn't you? Well, it's like it's how the other thing is like when when he went to Jerusalem was like, I'm gonna paint the wall and make it into something beautiful. Really makes you think. It's like, well, there's still a fucking wall there, and it's yeah. still like you know, armed guards right. are manning the tower. What if you paint a door on it, Wiley Coyote style? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Getting yeah. Israeli soldiers to just run into it. <laughs> <laughs> you paint a small Palestinian child with a rock at the end of like a really long tunnel on the wall. Like tw- Twelve hours later, Barry Weiss has written an op-ed about terror doors. <laughs> <laughs> yet again, yet again, Palis- Palestinian activists are using paint to distract and wound brave IDF soldiers. Oh yet again. God. Activists are using eight eight ton anvils and dropping them on people's heads, causing stars to emerge in circles around. Yeah, somehow them. doing it with kites, <laughs> <laughs> right? But it's it the whole thing, right? Is like it's like sometimes I think like Banksy is right about a lot of stuff, like but but like kind of dumb at the same time. I mean, yeah, it, I think the bar is set super low. I, I feel like you you mentioned that already, kind of where it's like anyone who even like performatively points the finger at the problem is all of a sudden elevated to a, a wokeness status um, beyond comprehension. I think Jim Carrey does that a lot too, or his like his artwork is always like Kaepernick wearing a jersey, and it's like, look, I mean, he but then he also does like the Yemen, uh, you know, the Yemeni children like being bombed with a U.S. Uh, with the like US military and whatnot. So I I don't know. I just I feel like I don't expect like artists to actually go out and like, you know, save Palestinian children. Mm. And we and because Banksy is like so secretive, I feel like we don't know what yeah. he does with all the money that he makes off of pest control. Because he is technically probably the wealthiest artist to have ever lived mm-hmm. uh while he was alive. Yeah. Maybe like barring I guess was it Picasso? No, yeah. not Picasso. Picasso was poor, but maybe Manet. I know Damien Hurst is rich as fuck. Yeah, yeah. Damien all the white yeah. But I think the problem is less with God. Less he's with, worse than Banksy. That's <laughs> okay. Found someone yeah. worse yeah. than Banksy. No, there Damien we go. Hurst, yeah. is, I don't. It's not necessarily that I'm saying I don't think it's, it's that Banksy is bad. It's that everything he does is so easy to, or everything he does publicly is so easy to co-opt. You know. Yeah. So in this case, right, like we're saying he was 
I mean, he might have intended this to be an actual stunt that shows the sort of vacuity of the art market. But because it's a stunt and the art market loves to be shown its own vacuity, it's simply increased in value. It's basically like an object lesson in the Thomas Frank essay, Commodify Your Descent. I think like Sasha Baron Cohen getting that lady to to shave her pubes on camera was way smarter of like what you were mentioning than what Banksy did. Yeah, and no, that's yeah, true. That's like a perfect self own, and then people still were like, because people could point to that and go, "Well, that's really stupid." Versus in this one, they're like, "Uh, well, you know, Banksy, you're you're worth just, this this art now just doubled itself in worth." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, it's we've never lived in a society this hard yeah but it's true it's like it's hard to co-op but you know what it is it's like i think it's hard to co-op what like sasha baron cohen does because a lot of what he does actually like has it doesn't just have a negative political statement um it has also a which is ah oh, haven't you considered that maybe iphones are too much you know it actually has a positive political statement which is like don't forget white supremacy is alive and well in the United States. Yeah. Like, and we can get this co- with this sort of state assemblyman to like, you know, try and touch me with his ass because he's I'm, afraid of Muslims. So what you're telling me is you want Banksy to draw a KKK member making out with uh, a black police officer and they're both gay. Yeah, All exactly. of a sudden. All of a sudden. Owned. Owned, wow. yeah. All of owned. a sudden. I never thought about that before. All of a sudden, yeah. finally, Tifu's on the Supreme Court and a yeah. nation could begin to heal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What about a burning cross, but the cross is made of iPhones? Well, the other thing is like... <laughs> Damn, it makes you think. <laughs> it really yeah. makes you think. Yeah. I mean, come on. The burning cross would be made of the Samsung Galaxy S7. Oh, it's like it's like Halloween, and there's the kid dressed up as a ghost with a white sheet, but the dad's in the KKK uniform. Oh he's my like, God. Why is your ghost so pointy? Are dad? you Banksy, dude? What the fuck? <laughs> I'm just this entire time. I'm really thinking now. It made me you, literally think. You got me, guys. You <laughs> yeah. got me. Like, that's the thing. Until I saw Banksy, I was actually like in a in a sort of sleepwalking state where I yeah. wasn't actually having any volitional thoughts. And then I saw his piece of art about like, you know, two police officers jacking each other off like on, <laughs> on, 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 on Buckingham Palace. And I was like, holy shit, I've been shocked out of my complacency. But also I, think, yeah. I guess it's time to rise up and agitate for something. I mean, I would just say yeah. that Banksy's work can be looked at and you can be like, you know, it, it, you can... You can see it and think of it as novel, or you can think, think, look at it and think of it as political, but it doesn't really make you uncomfortable unless you're really wedded to whatever particular yeah. thing is being is being mentioned. And even then, like the most political stuff that he's done is either like unless you're offended by the you know that no cops can be gay, or unless mm. like you really have a stake in 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 you know the, defending Israel's reputation abroad, it's not really going to offend. Whereas Sash Baron mm. Cohen's work, like. I have a hard time getting through all of it because it makes me so uncomfortable watching people own themselves so badly, oh, and it's yeah. always political. Like, it's the yeah. thing is, like, it's always it's always rubbing in the face how f- fucking weird primarily Americans are, but yeah. also yeah. British people to some and extent. And also how like weird people randomly get offended about Sasha Baron Cohen stuff when it's not even about them. Like, I remember how angry the country of Kazakhstan still is about the film, oh, Borat, yeah. and it's like <laughs> it's like it's not a film about Kazakhstan; it's a film about fucking America. And the whole point is that like no Americans have any idea what Kazakhstan is like and that's yeah. how it elicits the insanity of Americans but the Kazakhs are like no no one here has a dildo for hands <laughs> <laughs> this, this is false news yeah. <laughs> we do have superior potassium but that is where the similarities end <laughs> <laughs> well it's like you, you guys ever see that but like the thing about this sale right is you ever see that movie the other guys 
Yeah. 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 Like, you know how, like, there's that there's that repeating trope where Mark Wahlberg's character keeps on being, like... I'm a peacock? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you gotta let me fly. But he oh, goes he's Mark Sandovich. But he goes crazy in the, um, in, the, in, the, in the art gallery, but everyone just keeps applauding him because he's like he's oh yeah, yeah. They're like, oh it's so raw and real he's like no i'm trying to say i'm fucking mad and they're like <laughs> oh this is a perfect performance of anger yeah it's <laughs> like uh it's like uh, frank in always sunny in philadelphia that episode yeah. when he's the art buyer and it's like an ac <laughs> unit he's like oh this is you know he does that this is a yeah. society bit basically we live in a society it's like the thing the thing about the art market that's i think that i think a lot of people forget is like they just decide what it's all worth right like and this is just a gigantic global grift where a group of people are like collectively coming together to say, actually, it's shredded. And that says more about our society. So it's worth more. Also, the art market is painting. <laughs> no, 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 knowing this from, um, from, from previous work in the corporate world, uh, the art market is also a money laundering vehicle oh, yeah. for a lot of insane rich people with no taste whatsoever. Yeah, because you can and just so- pay for it. You can, just, you can, you can pay like fucking take a shit in a can which an artist actually did marcel duchamp sold artist shit the original um, Banksy. Then you, well, yeah kind of then yeah. you can then you can get it appraised at you know a million a million um, pounds then you can donate it to a museum and then you can take a million pound tax write-off it's yeah literally something people do all the time yeah um <laughs> what was i oh shit yeah i know i went to i went to um what is it called? It's Art Basel in Miami. Mm. It was like, I mean, it was simultaneously one of the best experiences because I was just like high and drunk the entire time with like a bunch of celebrities and it was great and it was a lot of fun, but also the worst because every single person there is literally the worst people on the planet. Like all of those billionaires get together in various parts of the world uh, uh, called Basel and they essentially buy the overpriced art. But the thing I was going to say about that experience the worst person on the planet is Alec Monopoly. Are you guys familiar with who this person is? No, is that the guy, yet. the Monopoly guy? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no the so, Monopoly guy in the car. <laughs> so Alec Monopoly like makes Banksy look like Banksy's an absolute genius, like best fucking street art person on the planet because he, first of all, he always wears like a bandana to mask his face. Uh, he is the the wealthy fail son of I think the Forever Twenty One Dynasty. I guess. Like he and and he just decided Where did like that come in Chinese history the well, Forever Twenty One Dynasty. Well, I, uh, well, yeah, but he um he decided he's just going to be a street artist, so that he bought the rights to the Monopoly guy, and he just like kind of stencils the Monopoly guy everywhere, and he works with BMW. He, he I think he worked with uh with uh Audemars, like all of the expensive high end uh like brands, luxury brands, all work with this guy. And all he does is just like stencil the Monopoly man and like different art, uh, different paint uh, splatters on top of like G-Wagons and shit. Is that a a criticism of like consumerism or something? No, 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 no. It's literally, it's the opposite. It's like for wealthy sheiks who have absolutely zero taste to be like, this is good. You know? (laughs) I I am a park place kind of guy. I don't know much about this man, but he drives everywhere in a metal shoe, which makes me trust him. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, it's so... It, it's so terrible. I mean, I, I urge everyone to go look. I, he's my hate follow of the year of all time. Maybe is Alec Monopoly. You heard but, it yeah. here, folks. Hate yeah. follow Alec Monopoly. It's great. Um, but I think like the the fundamental point I think before we sort of carry on is like that I think that 
all of this stuff is like whether it's Alec Monopoly just doing the Monopoly Man over and over again. Ooh, that's interesting and new. And or whether it's Banksy being like, ah, have you considered maybe your phone might be using you? You know, all of it basically is just sort of your phone might be watching you jacking it, <laughs> releasing an unflattering double chin to the public at large. This but, is why I always put my phone in a car before I jack but it. Because- basically, all, the difference between all this stuff is it's basically just an investment vehicle, and to think of it as radical, I think is to mistake where radicalism can be look for something more overtly political but also i think that it's always going to sell itself like as whatever it's assessed value is just its absolute value as like a creative work and that always seems to belie the fact that like it's an investment vehicle and so really it's just it has value because people have decided it has value whether or not it's a complete piece of shit or not although you got to say it made us think it did make us think and maybe we do live in a society it made us talk (laughs) and it made you listen it brought us all closer together. <laughs> maybe, maybe the hacky faux street art was the friends we made along the way. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, thank you, everybody. <laughs> Carrying on. Um, now, uh, Hassan, you're well familiar with the sort of um, horrible, hawkish, right-wing wing of the Democratic Party, which is most of it. Which is all of it, yeah, yeah, for the most part. Yeah, almost 100% of it. Um, but we are... Have you ever heard of progress capital p a group i I have not this is excellent this is a treat i I think of this as a treat uh it's not often i get to introduce this sort of awful uh labor right pressure groups like progress or labor first uh to people who are unfamiliar with them because everyone here knows who they are because we all hate them because they're all led by people who look like they're snowmen made of ham specifically this one i think this is either read by a cursed or angel but they both look like snowmen made of ham um Progress recently posted uh, an article uh, that sort of wants to try and, let's say, influence sort of um, a post-Brexit foreign policy, especially with regards to Russia and China. And it's called Vietnam Syndrome, in which... My favorite kind of syndrome. In which they... Yeah, it's it's better than Gulf War (laughs) Syndrome. It's a special kind of disease you can get from sex tourism. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Vietnam Syndrome, uh, they write, this sort of a press release, is not an actual disease. Marvin Kalb, a senior fellow at the Brookings Institute, an international affairs think tank in Washington, D.C. Oh, God. Our yeah, favorite also. The Labor, the Labor Party, quoting the Brookings Institute. The Brookings Institute the sounds Bro- like a nightclub. To, to, be in, to be fair, the Brookings Institution is, is not, it's not right wing, but it's sort of like centrist. And it, it, to our eyes, it's going to seem center right. Yeah. But like in the American consciousness, it's actually like... Well, there, how dare like, you, sirs? I, I used to have a boss who was, when I mentioned a friend of mine had gotten a fellowship at the Brookings Institution, he's like, oh, so he's a fucking communist then. Because <laughs> my boss was right wing. Yeah. And, and so in that Wall Street Journal reading ass kind of like conception of the world, the Brookings Institution is a left organization, Jesus even though it Christ. absolutely is not. Radical, as you're doing, about to, as you're about to radical practice of the Brookings Institute. So they def- the Brookings Institution defines Vietnam syndrome as, quote, a fundamental reluctance to commit American, and therefore by extension British, uh, military power um, anywhere in the world. Now the modern day parallel is clear. People who supported and opposed the Iraq war will agree that the outcome was tragic. Yet despite the record-breaking protests, the war was relatively popular in its early stages, only becoming significantly unpopular with hindsight. That's their justification. Um... Oh God! So, so because I, hindsight just, is always wrong, as we know. Whereas yeah, what no. you think at the time is always right. It's yeah. like the witch trials. But also, I mean, yeah. like that, what it doesn't take into consideration is like if opinion polls were supporting the war at the time, then that also has something to do with the fact that 
there was a lot of false fucking information about why people wanted to have a war in Iraq. Yeah. Like there was absolutely an, like just a sheer Saddam like, Hussein was going to do the rock. Saddam Hussein literally did nine eleven and was going to do the rock elsewhere in in the world if we didn't stop him. Um, he had mobile weapons labs that had, you know, special chemical munitions so they, that could they were only be StarCraft. Yeah, yeah exactly. There was stuff flying around that Saddam Hussein had shot Tupac, and it got a bit out of hand. I mean, but, but, but <laughs> basically, there was like a, a massive disinformation campaign, and so it's like, you know, if your average person, especially American, was like pro the Iraq War, it's like, well, yeah, because they were literally being told day in and day out that fucking Saddam did nine eleven, like that was coming from Bush, like. I mean, I'm not saying like verbatim, but it was it was so heavily implied that not only were they rev- involved, but that they were going to try to do more unless the U.S. stopped them. So like, <laughs> would they do it? Because well, that's the thing, like like St. Louis is always like, oh shit, they're going to do a 9/11 to our arch. Exactly. You know? nothing, nothing is going to own America harder than an arch that has nobody in it, just getting blown up. But it's a yeah. really theatrical. thing. But like, just just mm-hmm. for context for you, Hassan, these are some of the two groups that are most like coordinatedly opposing Jeremy Corbyn and the Labor Party. It's like Jeremy Corbyn or these guys. So it's like near Tandon, but yeah. but yes. like yes. yeah. So it's yes. the near Tandon of the UK. Very cool. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. They yeah, definitely yeah. need that. Like, if yeah. you have left, genuine left wing populism that is like proven to work against the the international white nationalist resurgence that you're seeing everywhere, um, you always have to have a right wing element within yeah. that faction to like kind of muddy the waters and 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 fight tooth and nail to ensure that we go back to the neoliberal hellhole that, that brought us to this problem in the yeah, first place. On the yeah. Where we are yeah. Now. Yeah, yeah. Because otherwise, like if we don't, if we don't do that, then like day of the dead style, Margaret Thatcher's fist is just going to punch through the, through the topsoil. <laughs> like <laughs> Lennon on the Simpsons episode when he comes back yeah. to life. I don't know. If you guys know. <laughs> oh, well, there's a Simpson reference to be had. And Riley's going to get uh, it. Well, no, I was going to say more like what we need is the other thing of, of that happened in the Simpsons when Lennon comes back to life. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, no. Um, but when the clock so, strikes 1982, Thatcher comes back to yeah. life. Um, so, but basically, he says that um, that the overall that this was the Iraq War has given us Vietnam syndrome again, and this will surprise you not at all. What the article references next: that the slide towards isolationism, which is as Jeremy Corbyn sort of promotes. Uh, can have, or they say it is isolationism, can have dangerous consequences. The post-war liberal world order is currently in the balance, which people love, by the way. With Russia and China on the rise, the oh. United States in retreat, and the fracturing of our European alliance, our collective inaction when Vladimir Putin made the decision to annex Crimea has only emboldened him to act further. Learning from the mistake, learning the mistakes from Vietnam and Iraq is important, but and do everybody try to like you know clamp down on the steam that's going to come out of your ears in a moment but knowing when to stand up to bullies is also important oh no so <laughs> if we russia, learn nothing else from so harry potter bad. so russia it's, it's, russia is it's, it's, all, it's all about the haters man it's all about taking down the haters you know bullies like what situation the Vietnamese. you're in yeah exactly if you're Vietnamese famous. rice farmers the big they were the bullies yeah. it wasn't us it wasn't yeah. fucking john mccain or like the u.s armed forces they came in and just like dropped napalm on these villages and killed a bunch of people it was us nope. it was when they were torturing john mccain they were just like giving him swirlies <laughs> <laughs> i was kept in a locker for five years <laughs> oh, deprived of lunch money <laughs> but no it's like it's, like, it's yeah it's like, like 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 skinny little uncle sam is sort of walking through the hallways and just gets his books knocked out of his hands yeah. by a chad north vietnamese farmer I mean, I, the thing that gets me about that is that for one thing vietnam syndrome people talked about how you know the u.s was going to be 
shy on the international stage somehow because we weren't able to force the Vietnamese, who famously kicked the fucking Chinese and the Japanese and the French out. We weren't able to also win. Like we we we've since gone on to try our hand at other unwinnable wars and lose them in other countries. But we're so, thing, you're, you're, you guys are so good at that. We, yeah, well, I mean, the thing about it is that we, we never want to, we always want to say that like there's something that makes us different than, than you know, everybody else who sucked because we're clearly the best country on the planet that's ever existed. Mm. And so like when we lose a war that the British and the Russians lost or when we, we are unable to contain, you know, the, 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 an area that has arbitrary borders drawn by both the Ottomans and the British or when we can't fucking win in Vietnam, like invariably like it's because because someone in America betrayed us, we we're always going to win until we were betrayed. Um, because we're not like those other shitty countries that well, oftentimes it, it, we're better at military operations, all quite frankly, than we were. But you know, weren't necessarily as rich. Th- this is the this is this is absolutely the like the Midwest dumb guy. This is the this is the uh, I you know I. I couldn't fight because of any number of reasons. I wasn't pissed. Well, yeah, all in, that. In, in the, yeah, it's mm-hmm. the classic like, dude. If they weren't holding me back, dude, you would have. <laughs> you yeah. fucking dude, you're so lucky it. we got scared. Yeah, exactly. But it's also, just... I mean, the idea that we were going to stand up to Vladimir Putin. It's like Russia has nuclear weapons. So I mean, any kind of confrontation that you're going to get yourself into, like no, that's why we have ours, so we can trade them and end all life on Earth because of principle. But the, I mean, I guess mm-hmm. the one thing I want to say about Vietnam, the Vietnam syndrome, is that like for all the talk of Vietnam syndrome, like. We invaded Grenada in 1983. We invaded Panama in 1989. We then fought in in the Gulf War, and like supposedly then Gulf War syndrome was over. But like the or desert uh, Vietnam syndrome was over. But like I guess the thing that kills me about it is that nothing, no talk about shyness on the international stage has ever stopped the United States from invading countries. When is, yeah, when has the United States ever been shy about it, about conducting devastating imperialism all around the world? Like, what is it? it were we shy when we were... Wait, were we standing up to bullies when we were just uh, unleashing hell upon... I mean, in the form of, mm-hmm. I guess, uh, fighting communism worldwide? Was that yeah. communism was the bully? Like, or Iran, even when you think yeah. about it. Yeah, like, I mean, basically, how dare they be a regional power? Basically, yeah. from the year 1975 to 1982, our books got dumped, and we were so sad about it that we decided mm. to go get, get hench in the gym. That's yeah. why we invaded an island in the Caribbean that had literally barely any military. <laughs> yeah, dude, we had, actually, that, that, that island was a nuclear-armed superpower. You just didn't know about basically, it. Yeah. Basically, mm-hmm. the way that we were able every, to... Re- every Grenada in his special forces, the, and no one knows the this. The way that we regained our confidence was to whoop the shit out of somebody weaker than us. Just like, see, we, we actually can win wars, and it's like, but not against rice farmers. Well, that's yeah. it, but that's the other thing, right? Like, note how they call it a syndrome, as though the natural—I mean, the natural state of the U.S. is to be imperialist, and then—and therefore, again, therefore, by extension, the U.K. Because their whole point is Jeremy Corbyn's unwillingness to use Trident and unwillingness to invade Russia for no reason is going to be the yeah. you know the end of us. What do they think is going to happen? Like, I don't understand. Like, that's the other thing I don't understand. Like, all right, so we're we're like arming in the U.S. We're arming Nazis in in the Ukraine, right? Like, that's our standard protocol, as we do with other violent military militant groups that we decide are like somehow uh, going to be favorable to us down the line or whatever. We just like kind of throw them away after a while and then they turn out to be terror uh, cells and, uh, and then again. we have to fight them again. <laughs> but like, what what's the plan? Like, do you, like, what do you, what are we going to do? Are we just going to like invade Russia? Like, what's the UK trying to do there? Like, I don't understand that at all. Well, something else that I point out too is that like, Every time you hear Jeremy Corbyn or somebody on the left articulate something with regard to foreign policy or specifically like what you're just saying, 
like it gets derided as being unrealistic. But I mean, in a way, somebody saying, no, I'm, I'm going to categorically rule out getting in a war with another nuclear power, that's actually way more realistic than somebody turning around and be like, no, we have to be strong and we have to stand up. And it's like, because what, do you, what are you really going to stand up? Like, standing up apparently is what Hassan just said, arming, fa- like using uh, you know, unconventional warfare and arming factions in these countries and destabilizing them. But like, it's not actually mm. going to accomplish what you want. And, and furthermore, I mean, like, I don't think that, for one, most Americans could look at our involvement in Ukraine or in Syria and be like, oh, yeah, we definitely made it better over there. Because, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but, like, the, the mm. border region of Ukraine, like, there's still fucking, like, artillery battles happening there yeah. on a regular so basis. Is, this is the weird thing for me, and it doesn't apply to almost any other conflict, but it does kind of apply to the Ukraine one, which is that, like, uh, I mean, there's no reason for the U.S. to be involved in almost all of the conflict it's involved in, but, like, the Ukraine one is like, well... People, I think some people on the left make the assumption that like Putin is playing by any of the rules that the West is notionally playing by and like he is not. And so when people say you have to stand up to Putin or emboldens him, I think that is true. That doesn't necessarily mean militarily, but like it de- like I definitely think people don't take Putin seriously enough. And people are like, oh, it's fine. You know, he's just like fucking around. But like, no, like he has an agenda and like he is not playing by the established like international diplomacy rules. So when people think that like, oh, we can just make an arrangement with Putin, like that's not, it's it like he, he plays in a similar way to Hitler. Like it's a similar, like you don't, you don't appease Putin. You like fucking deal with him. But like the rules that we've set up internationally, and I'm not a fan of Vladimir Putin. Like yeah, I'm yeah. not, uh, obviously not. I should probably state that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. None of us are terrible. We are Putin stands. We're not going to come after you if you say something about him <laughs> via your DMs. We're not going to hack. We're not going to like make sure that you tweet the worst tweet that will end your career. Maybe. Yeah, no, what I was going to say is like the international rules of diplomacy are are for the most part created by Western, like the Geneva Convention is a perfect example of this. Like it's usually created by the Western developed nations to break the rules themselves mm-hmm. and only to enforce upon other nations. And like I obviously hate imperialism in all forms, including Russian imperialism or when China does a similar thing when they're trying to mm-hmm. assert global power. Um, but like ultimately the way I think about it is. Um, I guess it's like minim like it, it's just minimizing a conflict as best as possible. And in that instance, like I'm not saying don't take Vladimir Putin seriously, but um, but like there's no other I, I, I there's there's a diplomatic way to deal with it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and it doesn't involve like trying to stand up to Vladimir Putin and like blame him for all of America's like personal problems. Yeah, and that's a weird thing too. Is that like oh, the, yeah. that when when somebody like this talks about standing up to Putin there's a sort of subtext there that is going to like ring bells for Americans. Like, oh yeah, because Putin who made America racist and made Mm. Donald Trump president as if that wasn't our own fucking (laughs) problem. He's our our Gaddafi, but he's our cultural Gaddafi. We're like, you know, uh, for people who haven't sort of seen hyper-normalization or or don't know that history, um, Gaddafi was sort of created as a kind of cartoon supervillain by the UK and US so they could say that he was a dangerous rogue actor to justify imperialist mm. policy. And then so they could further justify imperialist policy. Or right, look, our imperialist policy made this guy disarm his weapons. Yeah. And it was like, and now it's Putin. But now the, I think the liberals are using Putin as a cultural thing. We're like, ah, mm. Putin, America was great. And Putin made it racist and terrible. Yeah. And also he's like supposedly a communist too. You've guys yeah. probably seen uh, those. Yeah, like yeah, totally. Totally. Famously yeah. left wing man, Vladimir yeah. Putin. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Famously I mean, left wing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, I, 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 he's a I, fucking I, SJ dub, that guy. <laughs> 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 Putin's influence on college campuses has gotten too far. 
Like Vladimir Putin triggered as hell by Donald Trump. <laughs> so I got I got to ask Milo because Milo, Milo Milo spent a lot of time in Russia and speaks Russian and everything. And I, I'm just wondering, like, with this sort of discussion taking place, I mean, like people want to make Vladimir Putin into this, I mean, not to defend him at all, but they want to make him into like this all-seeing, all-knowing, like, world supervillain. But at the same time, like, he strikes me as interested in things that are going to benefit him and his government and also hilariously corrupt to the point of kind of being dumb. And that's why I'm wondering, like, what your take is. Because, like, if you ask the centrist libs and the center-right libs, like, invariably, it's going to point towards we have to stand up to him militarily. But, like... Who needs yeah. Viagra? I, I, have I, okay, I have so many thoughts about Vladimir Putin that it's difficult to articulate them all. The first thing I'll say is that I think the main problem with like global opposition to Vladimir Putin is that it's being articulated by people who are fucking dumbasses. And like, if the left could co-opt opposition to Vladimir Putin, that would be fucking great and big dickhead as hell. Because actually, like, I do like I don't think you can say like we will never militarily stand up to Vladimir Putin under any circumstances because Vladimir Putin literally uses the military to like attack like. There, there may come a point when that is necessary, genuinely, rather than being necessary to like deflect attention from like American internal politics or whatever. And so I think ruling that out is like kind of dumb because it just hands Putin like more power, both internally and externally. But another prism through which you have to understand Vladimir Putin is that like he's interested more in internal politics than he is in international politics, which means that he does a lot of international politics, but it's all about how it plays in Russia. And so like. He will like, he's like, the Ukraine is just a way for him to like create fucking chaos around the borders of Russia to cement his internal power. But like, as his grip on Russian power like weakens because things keep getting shittier there, he's going to keep doing that more and he will do it in more fucked up ways. And like, he's definitely not above starting like major global conflicts. Um, and people who like are not taking notice of that are like oblivious and probably not aware of what happened in Chechnya in the late nineties, early two thousands. Oh fuck! Yeah. I mean, yeah. Russia is a country where pretty much everyone knows like their security services blew up four apartment blocks Building. full of Russian citizens to blame it on the Chechens. I mean, those guys are not fucking around. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, no, say I'm... what you will about America, but like those guys are on a new level. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, my point is like I, I. I uh, I I analyze Vladimir Putin uh, from the same framework that I look at Recep Tayyip Erdogan and mm-hmm. um, like the arguably similar in its yeah, brutality sure. uh, mm-hmm. and it's also tendency to do like false uh, or yeah false flag operations and the way I see it is I feel like every global power does this it's not to justify what Russia is doing it's mm-hmm. not to justify how violent Russia has been or how violent Turkey has been but um. I feel like when Western involvement, uh, when West, when Western, when the West decides to also involve themselves in conflict that isn't mm. in that region, I feel like I don't know. Maybe I'm just more of an isolationist, but like w- mm. whenever they try to do that, especially when it comes to Vladimir Putin, when his mm. economic interests lie in like building pipelines or, or controlling some form of, mm. um, like trying to trying to sell uh, natural gas to Europe, essentially. Mm. And maybe I'm. Uh, uh, Maybe I'm doing a really terrible job of describing it, and there's like mm-hmm. much more. Um, um, there's there's a lot more that Vladimir Putin wants, uh, maybe mm-hmm. as far as like uh, glo- building Russia as a global power. But I, I feel like it's it's more so about um, like in order to ensure that the region is not as chaotic as it is right now, in order mm-hmm. to like ever uh, bring about some sort of peace in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like we have to uh, we have to look at Russia as a is not just like a, a dangerous military state, mm-hmm. but as a, as a global power that that has an economic interest in the region mm-hmm. and um, potentially deal with them in that regard. Yeah, I think the problem is basically that 
you're not dealing with like a country that has a strap. I think that like Putin's interests are like not aligned with Russia's interests. And that's kind of where a lot of the problems come in because like oh, actually yeah. the, the worse things get economically in Russia, the better that is for Putin because the more he can like spin the story of like we're being fucked over because it doesn't affect him personally. The, the, one of the problems is seeing, is seeing Russia as basically just one monolithic thing and there is just Putin. Right, like there are yeah. different, there are different levels you can engage with the society on. And yeah. the fact that the that I think the fact that the West sees Russia through the prism exclusively of militarism is one that will simply lead to imperial conflicts in the future. Yeah. And further, I think just pulling it back to this, put to what Progress is saying, the fact that they're saying trying to avoid military conflict or voicing opposition to military conflict or finding alternatives is a syndrome rather than what should be normal is i think very mm. telling that these people are unwilling to think critically about russia beyond it's a boogeyman that needs to be stopped and moreover my wife won't fuck me so please mm. can we do a charge of the light brigade mm. well i mean yeah. i would also say too that two two things first of all that like i mean one of the things that i appreciated about jeremy corbyn is that he's he's articulated examples of things where he thought that like a coalition style military operation would be something that would have been a good thing like to talking about uh, genocide in East Timor, for example, or uh, genocide in Rwanda, or places where mm-hmm. like a peacekeeping coalition might have stopped what was happening. He's not opposed to that. He's 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 gone on the record saying, "I'm not an absolute pacifist. I just categorically reject the idea that our first option should be military deployments." And mm-hmm. I, I appreciate that because I mean, I feel like once you're there, having been there, having done this myself, having been in the military and it's been deployed to Afghanistan, like if you if you aren't set up in a way where it's very clearly articulated what you're supposed to be doing and not doing, then you it winds up drifting into you being a belligerent in a region where you have no stake. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm always laughing when people are like, "Oh, we can't we can't just like tell the Taliban where we're going to leave Afghanistan because then they'll just wait us out. I'm like, yes, they're going to wait you out in their fucking home where they live, where you're not from. <laughs> <laughs> it's insane. But I mean, another thing that I want to articulate is that the, 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 the centrist, the kind of like the, the, the frightened liberal consensus view of, of the world involving Russia seems to completely disregard there's such a thing as Russian domestic politics or that the Russian state exists. Putin mm. only exists as a troll to fuck with the West and mm. it completely ignores what Milo pointed out that like a lot of this is done for domestic Russian consumption. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. And I, I completely agree with what Hassan said earlier about how like there's a huge problem with like okay, if we agree that like there needs to be some policing done in the world, quote unquote, like who's doing it, who is fit to do it? And I don't I don't think like the US in its current form has at all clean hands or is it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, I don't, yeah, I completely agree with everything you said. I just think that like, yeah, also something needs to be done about this problem. I don't know what it is. It's just definitely, um, it's oh, not yeah. this. Yeah. And like, yeah, and it's fine to have like, a, a, you know, Russia as like a substantial regional power, just not when it's being run by like fucking kleptocrats. Um, like, if you have, like, a reasonably run Russian state, like, the U.S. should be more than happy to share power with it. Like, and that's I mean, not... There like, was literally a point at a which, you know, for all of the talk of, like, the NATO tension being created, like, the NATO buildup with Eastern European countries joining NATO, um, there was a period at which, I want to say in, like, the early 2000s, when Russia was actually doing joint military exercises with the U.S. military in Europe. Like, there was a point at which it was feasible. There might have been this sort of, like, you know... I mean, not not to say that like the the neoliberal consensus was a good thing, but like it was trending that direction before it went the opposite direction. And so it's like if you had a situation where Russia was not a complete fucking madhouse, then you might see exactly what you've just described. Understanding that Russia's a regional power is going to have influence in a, in a region uh, in Central Asia, in Eastern Europe, but not looking at them as like the evil empire. But then also like not necessarily seeing them as like our you know the the, the next war we're we're preparing for. 
And I just feel like these people who talk about the next war we're preparing for are so divorced from the reality of like, A, what warfare is, and B, like what a war with Russia would look like that like they think they're being reasonable and sensible and they don't realize they're being absolutely insane. Uh, and it's just the, that formulation that you just read out loud, Riley, like that's revealing it to me, like just how fucking bananas it is. Because it, it, like, don't let the fear of an imperial catastrophe in Vietnam, which actually happened, or an imperial catastrophe in Iraq, which actually happened, deter you from the next imperial catastrophe, which might literally involve nuclear weapons. Yeah, yeah. people who are rubbing their hands at the thought of a war with Russia don't realize how much Counter-Strike the Russians have played. <laughs> yeah. I see, I think, I think I've got the solution to this, guys. Okay. Trump and Putin kissing, and here Whoa. we go. It's graffiti. Whoa! Yeah, boys. Yeah. 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 Fucking face. solved it. They're so gay, dude. Gay people yeah. hate war, dude. Yeah, we <laughs> solved it. We've solved it with art that makes you think. <laughs> wow. Here, here you go, sir. Here's sixty thousand dollars. I'm commissioning this for the New York Times. Like. <laughs> the only problem is, is that if you if you try to make that into artwork and you sell it, as soon as the the, the gavel hits, it turns you gay. <laughs> no, as soon as you sell no. it, Banksy dead. Needs to claim more money <laughs> and completely destroys it, and we're back I, at square one. The idea of feeding Putin and Trump through a shredder kind of gets my dick hard, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> You've been doing a lot of talk about feeding shit through shredders yeah. today. He's well, I mean, it's, it's thematically important for the. It's from the Wait, Banksy thing. Hang on, you haven't been yet. You will in the future. <laughs> No, no, how are you this bad at like <laughs> holding it, holding a theme together? <laughs> so uh, just to, just to close just to close this to close this out um, to close this section out, uh, Luke Akehurst, who is sort of the the big the, the the big hand snowman in charge of this particular group, uh, responded to a criticism that basically is kind of what we were saying, which is this is basically war crime apologism dressed up in the pseudo intellectual language of imperialist ge- imperialist geopolitics. We don't want blank checks for a war machine. Uh, his response, and this is why you know these people are smart and good at government, is this is just a bot generating random lefty buzzwords: war crimes, blah blah, imperialism, blah blah, neoliberalism, blah blah. Oh, none of these things mean anything. Yes, because none of that has ever happened. There's never been any war crimes; they but don't exist. It's when just, are they going to have him on uh, Pod Save America? Oh God, oh, yeah. probably just. I bet they're going to do a UK tour, and they're yeah. going to they're going to have like Chris Leslie on or whatever, and be like, "This brave MP is standing up to Trump and responsible economics, where we're not oh, spending the damn deficit and turning into Venezuela." <laughs> I want to know what Nigel Bigger thinks about all this. Excuse me, I don't know what a Vietnam is. (laughs) Could you explain to me? I I, I guess I just look at it that this, this to me is indicative of the kind of reputation washing that people want to do because what is the centrist liberal in Britain, what is their, 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 biggest problem is that Tony Blair is completely tainted because of Iraq. So in, if you can rehabilitate Iraq, you can rehabilitate Tony Blair yeah, and you can right. rehabilitate that kind of politics, um, which apparently everyone's just dying for. Because yeah. Everyone out there is like, God, I hate this Jeremy Corbyn telling yeah. me about things that are going to make my life better. Go back to some shit that literally is so abstracted. I can't understand it. I was going to say the Abby one great was a gymnastics camp. <laughs> the one thing, the one thing you can take from this is that unlike in America, where this represents the only realistic political tendency to the left of fascism, this has a constituency of like five people and they all work for progress. Yeah, no, it's awesome that like uh, that people actually held Tony Blair accountable or, or, or were like very upset at him even, which is a low standard to set, but yeah. we don't even have that nope. in America. No. And we still pass omnibus pictures, military. Guy. Yeah, I mean, he just... We still, exactly, we still pass like these insane military discretionary spending bills uh, with 
complete I just got a brain twinge which is that at one point Hillary Clinton is going to get up and say Congress needs to pass this military spending bill like my honored colleague George Bush passed a piece of candy to Michelle Obama oh Jesus Christ oh, God, I'm so sorry <laughs> it's just like <sighs> it's oh my god um, Melania is so, just throwing such shade. You know? I want to move. I want to move on. I want to move on to the um, to the last topic before we uh, before Hussein transforms into Trevor, um, which is a little like, a, like, a, little a, like a cocoon. I'm in a cocoon at the moment. Waiting until I transform into a gamer. <laughs> so this is so, some sort of good news. Uh, which is that after successful pressure led by Bernie Sanders, who, if you ask the near attendance of the world, never did anything. He just complains. Um, Amazon has raised the minimum wage for all of its hourly staff to $15 uh, US, which we can all agree, I think, is basically a good thing in an extremely limited way with many caveats. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, Hassan, you're more plugged into, into US politics. Have you been, you've been following this? I, I have been. Um, well, I also have friends that work for Amazon as well. They work, um, and, and uh, we, we constantly argue back and forth about um, the, the, the working, like the conditions of the workers in Amazon facilities. Mm. And, um, this is a testament more to like how unaware the cogs in the machine are, uh, as far as like, uh, like knowing what class you're a part of in America. Um, like class consciousness does not exist. We talk about this. Uh, I, I'm sure you guys have talked about it. Um, on this podcast as well but like it exists in britain but in it's purely cultural yeah but in the united states like everyone is a temporarily embarrassed millionaire and all that stuff so like we were having this conversation and i didn't know what he did i'm not going to name my friend i don't want him to lose his job but we were having this conversation about like amazon facilities and the and the working conditions of the of the workers and he's like no 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 it's totally fine and only after it, 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 you know, they report back to me like uh, and they tell me that they love the jobs and they love that they get productivity bonuses and whatnot. And and only after like we had this back and forth conversation, did he realize that he was essentially in a managerial position, even though he technically wasn't a manager, like his entire job is essentially the whip that cracks the back of the Amazon workers. Um, it, it, did he realize that they're probably not like being very open and honest with him? And and that to me like that, I I. And he's like a lefty kind of guy, not like super lefty. But to me, that was really interesting or at least telling that like people are completely unaware of, of where they stand when they work in these gigantic corporations. But ultimately, yeah, people think that the Amazon thing is good. But like you said, there are a lot of caveats, including yeah. the productivity bonuses that they're uh, phasing so, out. I was going to say the company announced Tuesday that it will raise the minimum wage to 15 an hour. But as you were saying, uh, tucked away in that announcement was the fact that Amazon will phase out its bonus and stock award programs for its hourly workers, right? And I think what this goes to show fundamentally is that the problem isn't low pay. Low pay is a symptom of the bigger problem, which is that um, a garden gnome gets to decide what like hundreds of thousands of people's pay is going to be, right? Like you you can have as many raises as you want, he, Jeff Bezos is ultimately going to be asking the question, what is going to make it so I make as much money next year as I did this year? Also, I think a point too is that Amazon's incredible anti-union bias is such that like, it's one thing if a union delivers this to its membership and that's the concession they're able to grant. It's another thing when all of this is done by fiat 
at the you know at, at the behest of the billionaire who runs the company mm-hmm. and so like you know the first and thing, then we're thanking him and oh, then we're thanking him sake. yeah like, exactly. to hillary clinton and every single person is like oh my god thank you jeff well, see, this, is this is proof there's yeah. good billionaires exactly yeah. and that was one of the things that i think you could contrast bernie sanders with jeremy corbyn well, was that corbyn's response was so like i actually have yeah, i actually ahead. have this uh and so there are th- this is a tale of three tweets actually okay um so this is jolly and mom who is qc a Again, probably the dumbest person who's had the most education. Um, he is, I guess, if I was to draw an American equivalent, it would be like oh, who who is who is the American equivalent? He's, he is a smart, he is a very well educated sort of centrist concern troll, more or less. Uh that's a tough one. I mean, I would I mean, say it'd probably just be like David Brooks or something. Yeah, right? I was just yeah. thinking yeah. David Brooks. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's like one. he's like a, he's like two inches to the left of David Brooks. Okay, um, and 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 he's got radicalized by Brexit. Uh, like all these idiots did. So he said, there is a significant difference of tone here between Sanders and Corbyn. Sanders happy to credit Amazon for taking a significant step forward and urges others to follow. Corbyn just uses it as a platform to attack Amazon for other failures. Yeah, there's plenty of failures to attack Amazon. Like, I don't understand. We haven't, the work hasn't stopped. You know what I mean? Like, our our, our struggle continues in this instance. And, and it will forever probably continue, especially when... Like you said, billionaires get to make these decisions. Yeah. Look, the most telling part about this, for me at least, is the fact that they they shifted uh, they shifted instead of taking uh, instead of redistributing profits, mm-hmm. right, uh, in a more equitable way, which is essentially what people want when they're talking about minimum wage being raised to fifteen dollars. Um, instead of doing that, they essentially worked around other ways that that they were already paying out um, workers. And and took that away and just said, all right, here you go. You have your symbolic $15 minimum wage. And that is that's really telling that that they're not taking away anything from the shareholders. They're not taking anything away from Jeff Bezos. But instead, they're they're even when you're delivering $15 minimum wage to the workers, you're still taking it from the other benefits that these workers were receiving. I think it's anything what we, what this should teach us and what countless events like this in the past should teach us is that anything a billionaire gives you. Is basically a wish in a monkey's paw, because they're going to fuck with you in some other way. Yeah. yeah. Except for George Soros, who still hasn't paid me, and I'm waiting <laughs> yeah. on it. It's bullshit. Everyone keeps saying he's paying me. Where is my money, dude? I follow his son Alex Soros on Instagram yeah. just so he'll pay me. Hasn't happened. Hasn't yet. happened yet. No. I mean, we. Amen. I mean, George Soros has, of course, lavished us with this office and this cardboard yeah. standee of Elon I, Musk. I, I would just like to thank George Soros at the moment for the live wires that are hanging in the other room. Um, yeah. Very much, pre- you know, like when I was locking up yesterday, I'm pretty sure like one of the bulbs exploded in another in another room. <laughs> um, yeah. So Only I would, I, I'd luxury. like to thank George Soros for that. Um, and in the event that like one of us catches on fire, um, I, mean, I was thinking about this the other day. Yeah, you know, how George Soros I, I, I is the guess, weirdest writing. Like, I guess all of us are like paid actors, right? So. Oh yeah, we're all yeah. reading from a script. That's why this podcast yeah, yeah, is so yeah. tight. Yeah, that's why we. Act, that's why we literally have a script, even though. Some of us, aka me, don't ever read it. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about the other day how George Soros is the weirdest right wing conspiracy theory because there are all these like super right wing people who believe that like a billionaire is funding a leftist conspiracy to like institute <laughs> communism. <Yeah. laughs> it makes like no sense whatsoever. I-, I think it's like open society. Is they do actually like they do actually uh, promote a lot of like left wing or left adjacent candidates and like causes. 
I think that George Soros, and I haven't really looked too much into this except for like creepily stalk his son Alex Soros with hopes that he'll DM me one day and I'll be like, dude, mm. just give me, just give me like 10, just give me 10 million. Like it's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, we won't I'll talk about it. I'll go to any it. protest you want. Yeah, I'll go to all the five. Go anyway for fucking yeah. free, dude. Like give me 10 million. Anyway, just but, make me freshly dipped in Supreme. Yeah, exactly. But, um, but it's, it's interesting because. Like uh, they, he, I think, I believe he wrote something like George Soros wrote like a, like an article back in the day, like a very long time ago about how like the existence of billionaires is actually like the, the reason why this system our economic system is broken or something. I don't know, but I'm my, to my knowledge, like he is kind of a left wing guy mm-hmm. and he does definitely fund like left wing causes. I mean, and like he, for example, he financed uh Gillum in Florida uh, alongside our revolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, that was interesting. They gave him like a last second. And Tom Steyer, which was really weird. Tom Steyer, the the, the billionaire fucking uh, California hedge fund guy who was like, we're going to say no to Donald Trump if you give me your name and information. So when I run for president, eventually, <laughs> Oh, yeah. He I'll runs like it. the pro-impeachment thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know what it is? That's the thing. Like, it's in order to thank George Soros for being such a good billionaire... I'm very excited to make him a millionaire. Yeah, no, that's that's I, I totally agree with yeah. that. But it's it's really I mean, it's all projection. Obviously, we know yeah. this because like whenever Republicans are like, oh, my God, you have a shadowy billionaire financing these protests. Uh, unlike because, us, the Republicans. Oh, yeah. Unlike us, the Republicans who definitely don't do that. I mean, I can't wait till Wyatt Coke is the shadowy billionaire because oh he's going to be so, he's just going to be wearing his fat guy shirts, like sliding over a bunch of money that he just ate. Another another billionaire, pay. wealthy billionaire oh, yeah. uh, son. I follow. No, that's what it's going to be. <laughs> he's going to try to pay. He's going to try to like like pay off uh, like 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 whoever like when they nominate. I don't know. Fucking like. The, 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 a literal vampire. When they, when they when they nominate like you know Jeff Bezos to the Supreme Court, for example, uh, they like like uh, Wyatt Coke's gonna try to pay off someone in chocolate coins. It's gonna be great. Mm. Well, I mean, I love he, that. That man yesterday. would never let go of his chocolate coins. Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> wow, you guys are body shaming, dude. No, I'm just kidding. We 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 do love his incredibly well designed fashion apparel that's good for the boardroom and the discotheque. I, I oh, love transitioning yeah. seamlessly. For, that's the thing. I feel like everyone stopped talking about Wyatt Coke, the funniest thing that's ever happened. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I still go back and watch that oh. video every now and then. He's like a minor character from one of those 90s James Bond movies who like helps James Bond out. And for like some like minor CIA guy who's like fat and wearing a Hawaiian shirt and he's he like... Calls him Jim. He's like, Wyatt yeah, Coke the Russians are just over that hill over there. Now, before we... I feel that like Wyatt Coke will end up becoming like the kingpin in the next inevitable spider-man reboot um, <laughs> <laughs> why in kingpin um so i think uh before we, pin. Uh, never well, mind. we can end the episode there <laughs> no, but before before we before we transition to um to to gaming uh mm. I, I wanted to just sort of point out that like people listening to this thinking about the amazon minimum wage fight and how the ownership is structured might be thinking this is good generally but it doesn't affect me and the problem is it does. It doesn't affect you now, but it, it might at some point in the future because Amazon has all these programs to get into what it call it sees as every single industry in the world and take it over. Uh, I was doing a little You'll more. You'll never re- take our podcast, Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing a little more research, and like they have a program called Career Choice, where um, where what they do is they subsidize and subsidize and subsidize training for employees, often low wage employees. Um, 
who in many different fields, like aircraft mechanics, nursing, that Amazon is not in on the basis that they say, oh, we're putting the person above the employee and providing on-the-job satisfaction. But the real point is that Bezos is willing to spend infinite money um, for th for to like, to operate programs that don't make any money on the basis that he's going to, he can spend it for long enough to take over that industry and keep undercutting the competition and keep just setting himself up as the mm. king of everything. No, it's like it's literally it's feudalism. I mean, I've said this before and I'll say it again, but I think the best way if you want to actually bring about a bloodless communist revolution, you just let Jeff Bezos do whatever the fuck he wants and inevitably nationalize Amazon. So then all of a sudden, taking over every industry around the planet globally, allow Jeff Bezos to be the multinational-like corporation that is the singular monopoly for every industry, and then you kill Jeff Bezos. <laughs> just take it over. Yeah, just nationalize it. And there you have it. Fuck yeah. Full One communism. person dies, full luxury techno-communism. I think um, that's actually a good place to transition into that other murder simulator. Okay, I didn't, Fortnite. I don't, and that was a joke. I obviously love Jeff Bezos. I have a Twitch, so yeah. please don't. <laughs> I love billionaires whenever they, like, they're all, like, nerdy, fucking weird guys that definitely never saw the sunlight, and then they become billionaires, and they get all the special bells and whistles. They're all Jack now. All the billionaires are Jack. <laughs> what the fuck happened? When did they, what did they know that we don't know? Like mm. I thought, when you're a billionaire, like you're you're you know you're working oh my God. a billion oh my times God. Oh my God. harder oh my God. Oh my God. than oh everyone what, else. So when like Wyatt Coke becomes a billionaire, right? Is he going to become Jack? I mean, he is. Like, isn't see, he? Like, Wyatt Coke is just walking just up right now. When he goes into he's his cut face, he's, he's the first huge. He's been the first thirty years of his life bulking, and he's about to shred. Yeah, they just like their hairline improves, except for Jeff Bezos. I don't know why he didn't do that Elon Musk thing, but yeah, billionaires can't live with him. Uh, I'd love to live There's without no them. There's no second part to that mm, yeah, uh, yeah. to that statement. <laughs> anyway, shall we shall we talk to uh, Trev? Well, we should. All okay. right, yeah. saying we're going to transform you. All right. And so it appears that uh, a couple things have happened from here. Uh, number one, Hussein is magically transformed into Trevor Strunk uh, at Hegelbond, host of No Cartridge. Yeah, it's, it's cool to be here in England. <laughs> Those and, flights just keep getting cheaper and cheaper. And way faster. Yeah, I know. It's, and faster, too. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. And moreover... We've decided that any running joke that's come up throughout the rest of the fullness of this episode actually wasn't that funny, so we won't be making them from Way here. Wait, break kayfabe, man. Come on. <laughs> All right, so... Um, this show is just hell for the listeners. It really is. <laughs> well, you know, we'll stitch it together in a way that makes sense. Uh, so, Trev, you recently wrote an article on Fortnite and the post-scarcity economy. And yeah. I just wanted to know if you could, um, for, the, for the benefit of the listeners... Let them know what Fortnite is, what the post-scarcity economy is, and how the shit are they linked. Yeah, so um, Fortnite is uh, basically the most popular game uh, in existence right now. It's uh, um, I, I'm in a group DM with a bunch of dads who were kind of wondering what it was, and the other dads sort of knew, but they asked me. And I, I described it as a game where you're dropped on an island with 99 other people, and you have to murder them all. Um, and, uh, someone said, it also has fun dances. 
Uh, <laughs> basically, uh, you, you oh, do a fun little dance when you, after you eliminate one of uh, the other people on the island scrabbling for survival. Um, like most battle royale games, it, it short like sort of like limits the map as you go along. So there's a massive storm on the outside. You have to find all your gear. Uh, and there's also a building element. So you can build forts or big platforms. And uh, the, the best players in the game will build and shoot at the same time. So, you know, watching it has become just as popular as playing it. I almost said almost, but it probably might even be more popular than playing it. Uh, because when you get people who are a uh, high enough skill level, watching them build and uh, uh, shoot at the same time, it's just, it's it's pretty amazing. Uh, Hassan, do you, it, are you, you build and shoot at the same time? I, I want to say that I do, but I'm lying. I mean, I, I had to quit after a while and then only take it up later uh, because I did a quick switch between a PC and a PlayStation. But like, it's very difficult. Every 12 year old is like magically better than me. I hate it. I hate it so much. I can't stop playing it. Um, But yeah, I, I want to say that I can build and shoot. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's, yeah. It, it's the whole thing's kind of like Logan's Run, isn't it? Except like you know the the magic that thing in your arm goes off at the age of like fifteen. It's sort of like the older you get, the more impossible it is to kind of. It, and it's it's funny because it's like Logan's Run in a way that like other esports are not, where like you know you talk about something like um, uh, Dota or something like that, right? Where as you get older, your fingers can't actually like go the the right speed anymore. <laughs> But in Fortnite, it really is like, I think an older person's brain, and I count myself in this as well, I can't, an older person's brain can't have, can't hold the two thoughts at the same time, can't be like, I'm building a tower and I'm shooting and I'm doing that at the same time. It's like playing the piano with both hands. It's just like, at a certain point, you're never going to pick it up. Yeah. And one of the things that you sort of talked about in the article was this idea that Fortnite is this is this sort of violent murder simulator where you occasionally do a floss dance um, that also is like extremely popular among like people in the age of 12 and that our reaction yeah. to its violence, like comparing to like Jack Thompson of the late 1990s, where he said that like the Columbine shooters trained on this or that game has actually been relatively muted. The Columbine shooters were the yeah, real troops. Actually I had someone arguing with me about this um, and we, we, he didn't like the article and weirdly we actually started talking about it, not like yelling at each other, um, which is seems odd. Shocking. Yeah, I know it's weird. It was, it was an odd choice, but uh, we, we ended up chatting about it and like, it turned out that his problem with my article was like, he thinks that the U S is less puritanical today than it was in the nineties. And that's why there's a muted uh, quality. Whereas I think if anything, it's just more puritanical than the nineties. So like, I mean, given that I think that, yeah, it's really weird that there's like a an enormous like island uh, murder simulation. And I mean, yes, you know, one of the one of the things that makes it popular is it's free. And another thing that makes it popular is like it has all sorts of fun outfits that you can buy. And another thing that makes it popular is there's no blood like it. It, it hedges its bets like uh, Riley. You said you were playing. You played like a uh, uh, PUBG. Um, PUBG. And like PUBG definitely is a gritty, bloody sort of mess, which limits its appeal. What, Fortnite what is, is like fun and colorful, oh, right, 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 and you know, parents look at it and they're like, "Well, you know, whatever." Well, I mean, Trevor, um, I was just thinking about this from because the, the last like multiplayer, like three D shooter kind of game that I played, you know, recently was uh, I think it was, it was one of the Far Cry games. I think it was three, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but uh-huh. like that just seems shockingly violent compared to like what I've seen on uh, for one what I've seen of like video snatches from Fortnite, but also certainly compared to like 
uh, GoldenEye 007 or uh, like games from the late two thousand, late nineties, early two thousands. Like the the parents getting mad about Grand Theft Auto or Doom or uh, I don't know, like any one of those games seems like they, those all seem really benign compared to like the level of violence that you'll see in some of like the mature three uh, D shooters now. Oh, for sure, for sure, and I mean that. But that's that makes it kind of, of the graphics, like, that makes right? Fortnite sort of unique as well because like it, it doesn't have that as much. Like it has the mechanic of like oh, you're shot and you're, you know, you're down, but you're not dead yet and you need to crawl around to your teammates. And that's grim, but I think it's not as violent. That's not the point of the civilians in just like hideous and frightening, you know what I mean? Yeah, but one of the things I think that this goes into is like a lot of this violence sort of serves to mask what you talk about as the logic of scarcity, right? Where, oh, it's all very cartoonish, but there is this real tendency that that undergirds it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, I I feel like one of the things in the article that I didn't do was kind of give a, enough of a frame for this where like a lot of the way I'm understanding Fortnite comes from my understanding of like literary and uh, artistic aesthetics. And like, uh, Heyrog Lukacs has a great line about this where he's talking about um, Tolstoy. And he says like, he really loves, he really loves um, uh, like Balzac and order Balzac and, and people like that who, and if you've never read a Balzac novel, it's basically like, uh, you know, uh, class realism par excellence. Like he just writes about like what poor people do. Um, but Tolstoy for Lukacs is even better because he says it, it represents the totality of the world without actually like aiming to do so. Uh, so his example is this conversation between a, a, a lawyer and a judge's wife. And this lawyer has been trying to get his client uh, some sort of like justice the entire book. And, uh, finally, he talks to the judge's wife and the judge's wife goes, oh, yeah, I'll talk to my husband about it. It's no problem. And Lukacs says at that point, you get to see all of society laid out, you know, bare. Um, and it's it's very interesting. And I think like uh, he's right. Uh, that's that is what good art does. Um, but even bad art or like, you know, what you'd call, I guess, Fortnite would be sort of like um, uh, accessible art or something like that. If it's art at all, it does that. Right. Like it to me, the fact that something is so popular and the basic premise is you are on an island there are limited resources you have to compete with other people to get the resources and not just that but if you don't compete correctly then they're going to kill you and you're going to die so you better kill them first and build better and build faster it it, it truly is like you know contemporary capitalism simulator like you better get good (laughs) at this and if you're not good at it you're going to fall behind very quickly um, and the penalty for that is that you die and have to leave the game. I think um, as a London resident, I'll identify with it more when you have to, when they re- release a new version where you have to rent and shoot at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> so you, yeah, you, you say that the, the logic of scarcity asserts there's a finite number of things in the world that we all need to survive and thrive and basically only the strong can have them and that we've basically right, internalized exactly. this. It's always ninja or freaking 12 year old. That's what that <laughs> is. That does that mean that like only streamers are going to survive in this in this like Wait, devastated late Dan stage capitalist hellhole that we live in? It's just <laughs> it's a tifa. It's I a mean, yeah, it's going to be ninja's going to be the poet king or the poet, uh, the poet dictator of, uh, of all these 12 year olds. Uh, I think we need we need no, to like, the Supreme you, Court is what we need. He's never <laughs> never said anything problematic. I mean, obviously, look, their their opinions, like they're they're all like secretly closeted social conservatives. A lot of those gamers are. So like ultimately it's not gonna be that much different than the than the current makeup of our of our administration, at least in the US. Yeah, that's true. 
They want a Good Supreme point. Court that's just in favour of heated gaming moments. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's pre- Finally, they will have the the, the, the the reactionary right wing will have exactly what they wanted, which is make the make it totally legal to say the N-word. As a matter of fact, you'll get promoted if you say it <laughs> one time. The more times you say it, the higher yeah. you That's, that's, it's like that's the, the thing. They call you into your they, your boss calls you into his office and you have to say it. <laughs> if you don't, if you don't say it fast enough, you don't get promoted. It's like, it's like they're gonna hey really- son, how do you think I became a four-star N-word general by not <laughs> saying the N-word? They're gonna release a new version of Fortnite where it's like instead of unlockable skins, you have unlockable slurs. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, like one of the things, uh, one of the things that's true about the logic of scarcity, though, is that like it's not there are realities in it, like for sure. Um, things are less and more scarce in the world. But it's not like, you know, the, the idea that, oh, we have 10 million people, so 5 million of them have to die. Malta said so. Like, that's just bunk. It's not true. It's based on sort of like racist and, and old-fashioned, you know, that's the nicest way of saying it, uh, <laughs> ideas about the world. And so, like, you know, this idea that Malthusian economics has such sway that we kind of look at something like Fortnite and say, like, Oh yeah, sure. That makes sense. Like if you drop a hundred people on an island, they have to kill each other or else they can't live. Um, that's weird. Like, and, but it, but it's so naturalized, right? Like it's so naturalized and so easy for us to say like, yeah, okay, that's right. Yeah. So, but you go on to say that Fortnite isn't literally about scarcity, but it couldn't have reached its popularity in a world where this, all this stuff didn't seem obvious. Yeah. And I guess like when I say popularity, I don't mean that like the game is played because of, uh, uh, of, that like it's not like people are playing it just because there's like scarcity and people care about that yeah but people are playing it people are playing it because they you know when i say it can't reach its popularity um i mean like it can't reach a sort of like cultural saturation point right where like the idea that it's everywhere and accessible and like people just kind of are able to adapt to it super quickly you know it became popular because it's a fun game and it's well made but it didn't become like culturally ubiquitous because of that the reason it's culturally ubiquitous is because it reflects our society back onto us well, and think, like it's just very natural well i think that's that then to sort of to close it out this kind of reminds me of what um uh, hideo kojima said about what he wants to do with his with death stranding which is every single game he's ever made has been about sort of sticks about people hitting each other and separating off from one another and Death Stranding is supposed to be about the ropes that tie them together. I don't know what the fuck he means. I think he might be being like an uh, he might have gone like he might have gotten auteur brain. Is it about bondage? <laughs> like you know, you know like some auteurs get like just their their brains just sort of degenerate because they've been told their geniuses one too many times. I, I well let's let's I mean I don't know. Death Stranding does look cool though. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I I believe in Kojima. I don't think he can ever he can ever do anything wrong. So he, I think it'll be great. <laughs> Otacon just calling Solid Snake a dirty toilet boy and peeing on his face. <laughs> Good lord. God, this is genius. <laughs> I, 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 I mean that unironically, just yeah. for the record. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, well, I gotta I run, you guys. Yep. And uh, thanks for having me. No, Come, no worries. Back on when, I go see, when uh, Death Stranding comes out. Beautiful. Hey, is that... Is, oh my goodness, it's the stroke of midnight. Trev is turning back into Hussein. <laughs> Man, it's amazing <laughs> how that happens. <laughs> All right. Thanks, man. Thanks, Trev. Cheers, right. bud. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, guys. And thank you very much to Trev. Uh, Hagelbon on Twitter. Listen to his podcast, No Cartridge. It's very, very good. Anyways, we've been in this uh, chilly, damp basement yeah, for long clo- enough. Should probably close the door at some point. Yeah. <laughs> Warm it back up. So I'm mm. going to say, Hussein, Milo, Nate, 
Thank you guys all for coming again. And Hassan, thanks so much for yeah. making your way to the caliphate. Yeah, thank you so much, guys. It's I mean, we're bringing about Sharia law in here. What is it? What did you call it? Londonistan? Yeah, the, the, the caliphate of Tower Hamlets. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very excited. The usual, usual, usual stuff at the end. We have a Patreon. Uh, this is the free episode. We have other episodes you can get for $5 a month, which is an idea we came up with, actually. Yeah, no, the first... no other podcast that's left-leaning has no, ever thought not, about not that. Never, never no. done that before. Yeah. Uh, so you can do that, and in fact, you should. Also, if you wanted to commodify your descent with a t-shirt from Lil Comrade, don't forget, they'll, Edie will print anything on that, almost. Yeah. And, uh, and finally, don't forget, uh, you can... Get our our theme music is provided by uh, Ginseng. It's here we go. You can find it on Spotify. It's a tune that absolutely slaps, and you should be listening to it twenty four sev. Anyways, everybody, thank you very much for being here, for listening, and all that good shit. Let's go live our lives. Thanks, everyone. Cheers.